This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Next Level. I'm JVL here with my best friends, Tim Miller and Sarah Longwell of The Bulwark. Uh, go and subscribe to the show. Hit the like button. Give us five stars. And then when you're done, go to thebulwark.com slash events and sign up to come see us in Seattle or sunny Los Angeles. We're going to be doing a live show in Los Angeles, California in January with special guest Johnny Favs of the Obama campaign. We'll talk more about that later on down the line. But guys, this is supposed to be the Christmas getaway week. This is supposed to be nothing happening. And we are having one of the biggest news 24-hour cycles of the year. We have the passing of the omnibus bill with all sorts of good stuff in it, like aid to Ukraine. And I believe we've passed the Electoral Count Act finally. We have Donald Trump's tax returns becoming public. Any day, we have the January 6th committee's final report. We have Volodymyr Zelensky arriving in the United States to meet with Joe Biden and address a joint session of Congress. And all of this while the world is basically just trying to finish their Christmas shopping. <laughs> Where do we want to go first on the wheel? Do we want to go to tax returns? Let's go tax returns first. Sarah, tell me about Donald Trump's tax returns. So... I don't think it's a huge deal because I do think the New York Times got a big chunk of his taxes. You know, somebody like black enveloped it to them a while back. And there's already been an investigation into his sort of tax fraud where he inflates the value of things so he can claim them as losses on his tax returns. And so he's basically, I mean, it has been like well established that this guy is a tax cheat. I think the question is like, and it's like, it's always the question I've had of reporters, you know, what do you think the political implications of Trump's taxes being released will be for his 2024 campaign? And my answer is just like it was before the January 6th committee when everyone's like, what are the political implications of the January 6th committee? And I was like, it depends on what they have, right? It depends on what's in there. If it's more of the same, right? If it is the inflated valuations, if it's the fact that he hasn't paid taxes, any like income taxes in I don't know how many years, we already know that. And that's already been litigated and voters don't care about it. Certainly not Republican voters. So the question is, is there like something new in there that is either criminal or provides new things to the narrative? Because the one way that I can see it making a difference is that, you know, talking about the focus groups, I don't have a focus group pod right now. We're off. And so I'll just tell you guys, we keep doing focus groups. Just did one yesterday. Just for like kicks? Just for shits and giggles? It's because I'm addicted and, and I, I- She's I, honestly, huffing focus like, groups. I can't stop. Okay. And I really want to know where voters are on Trump right now. Two-time Trump voters. I actually can tell you a little bit more about that later if you're interested. But on the point of when you just do two-time Trump voters and you don't screen for their intensity or their approval of him, right now they are very interested in looking at other candidates besides Trump. They're not that excited about Trump running. Like Larry Hogan and Chris Sununu? No, I'm not. <laughs> no. Is that who they're interested in, Sarah? I have not heard those names come up very no. much, unfortunately. Okay. But I have- Mike DeWine. 
Mike DeWine won a huge victory in Ohio. Are they interested in him? <laughs> no. Uh, no, he's not been met. He doesn't come up very often. You know, it's all DeSantis all the time right now. I oh. think that's shallow, but. Oh, the guy who's just like Trump, only he fights more. Gotcha. Well, no, no. The fever is breaking. But that's not it. The reason that they're down on Trump, and they're not even down, right? They're not trying to break with him. There's nothing in his taxes that are going to make them be like, boy, you know what? I was wrong about Trump. Like, none of that's going to happen. <laughs> but the accumulation of his problems are, are leading them to have a picture of Trump that he is not electable in 2024. They want to win. And so their main concern about Trump is that he can't build a big enough coalition to win. And so if the tax returns are just like another thing on top of the fact that a bunch of criminal indictments are going to come down, like he is starting to seize under the weight, not just of the accumulated scandal, but also of the electoral defeats. And they are all working to sort of minimize people's excitement about him. You know, Sarah, this reminds me of 2016 when the Access Hollywood tape broke. Bill Bennett called on Donald Trump to drop out of the race, mm. which, uh, you know, I guess in a vacuum, you could see that as, hey, good for Bill Bennett enforcing some moral standards. But the way he did it was he said he can't win. Yeah. He can't win. And it's a damn shame he can't win. So he has to drop out. So that's really what this is, is, right? It's like, oh, gosh, they they done Trump dirty. It's a damn shame that he can't win, but he can't. So I guess we need somebody else. There's no like, boy, this insurrection stuff was really bad. Nothing like that. It's just, uh, eh, great. Yeah, I know how mad it, it may, but I, and I, I'm sorry to report that two-time Trump voters are not going to tell you that they are sorry that they supported him and that they are now out on him. Like, that's never going to happen. And their only way psychologically for them to do this is not to just really grapple with why they were wrong. It is to sort of move on to the next thing, right? Well, I like Ron DeSantis and he can win. Or I like, you know, there's other people they like too, but they're they're looking for someone electable. So that's, that's I think that everybody keeps being like, do look at the taxes. Could that bring him down? I mean, I mean, maybe it could send him to jail. I don't know what's in there, but like highly unlikely. And there's multiple other indictments moving forward that are more likely to get to be serious trouble for him. Yeah. If he goes to jail, it ain't going to be because of the taxes. Tim, do you have anything, any thoughts about the taxes, the thoughts about the, the corruption of the government where the IRS was not auditing him as required by 1977 law? I thought, you were just going to say this is all just baked in the cake. I'm a little confused because I did think that the reason why he couldn't release the tax returns was because he was under the longest audit in history, right? So he couldn't release them no. while under audit. False. That was the original <laughs> reason for not releasing them. And then it, now it turns out that he was actually the only president not under audit. Yes. That seems a little fishy. Yeah, the tax return story has never really been one that got my dander up, partially because I don't really understand tax returns, and I'm not exactly even sure what's in there. I waste money on an accountant to like concern himself with numbers for me. So I don't, so I don't even really know. He sends me the final tax return and I just kind of like give him the thumbs up. I don't even really vet it. If the IRS is listening to this, I, I hope that that doesn't get me in trouble. I don't know if I'm required to do anything, but I do sign it. But I, he, he's, he's a professional. So I'm not exactly sure what's in there. I do think that there's still unanswered questions about his business dealings, particularly with foreign entities you know, particularly with the Turks and the Saudis and the Russians, right? And, and so additional information about cross-party debts being carried, et cetera. You know, I think that there conceivably could be things worth knowing in the tax returns. I'm glad that they're finally out. I'm mostly glad that they're out because it makes him sad. 
And anything that makes him sad makes me happy, particularly here at the Christmas time. I think that it's just nice to be in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, well, that's the main thing about it, right, is that he just... He's been trying to keep people from seeing them for so long, like a thing that other presidents have done voluntarily as part of the the norms, which, by the way, are not laws we've all learned, um, mm. but the norms that that we have as a as a political culture of a president releasing their tax returns. He's the only one who hasn't done it. And he also has a lot of dealings with foreign governments that are worth knowing. And you know what? If he wasn't running again. I might be against it. Like if they were going to have legal proceedings against him for tax cheats, like they should do that. But like making them public just to do it, I'm not sure I'd be, I'd feel conflicted about doing that. But he's running for president again. So sorry, them's the breaks. I love your just kind of personal honor code, Sarah. (laughs) And that's something that I admire about you and I appreciate it. And I aspire to have like an honor code like that personally. And I I do my best. And some days I, I succeed and other days I fail. And just releasing private information about Donald Trump just to make him sad is something that uh, that does not violate my personal honor code, even though it probably should. I, the interesting question, I, I think the most, my briefest thought on, on him before we move on, just kind of based on those conversations I was having in Phoenix, is like, come next March, come Memorial Day, you know, because he's got a number of bad months ahead of him with additional indictments and investigations and, you know, come March, come April Fool's Day, do Republican voters say, I've got to come to this guy's defense. These fuckers are coming for him again, and I'm mad about it, and I'm sick of it? Or are they like, eh, he's getting screwed again, but, like, I just, I'm re- I, I've had enough. And I heard a little bit of both in Phoenix, and I think that that's not really a great sign for him to even hear you know, some of that among the chorus of the core, people that are paying money to go hear Carrie Lake speak, you know? So I think that is an interesting question. And and like the tax returns are kind of one more just log on that fire. While this is happening, we also have the January 6th committee final report dribbling out. Right before we got on, I started reading through the executive summary, which is itself like 157 pages. By the time we finish taping, I think everything will be out. Thank God for Liz Cheney, by the way. Just like these Democrats had to leak to the Washington Post that like Liz Cheney didn't want to put their little addendum in their section in and like she didn't want she wanted to focus too much on Donald Trump. <laughs> it's like, thank fucking God Liz Cheney was in that room or that executive summary would have been 572 pages and there would have, you know, <laughs> they would have had to acknowledge the minor failures of, of Nancy Pelosi's like legal team and like, you know, we would have had to investigate the Capitol Police and it's like the Capitol Police were doing the best they could. Okay, like if you wanted to have a separate report on that, that's fine. But we need something that people can digest that helps them to understand that Donald Trump is to blame. And probably even the existing document is too long on that front, on the executive summary. So anyway, another eight cheers for Liz Cheney, as always, here on the Next Level podcast. So the executive summary opens with quotes from a number of insurrectionists, all of which basically amount to, I am ashamed of what I did. I attacked democracy. I was a traitor. And I can't believe I fell for this. That's This is, I'm paraphrasing, but this is what is like, you know, a dozen people quoted. Uh, and this is, this is what all of them say. And one of them says, look, the president of the United States told me that the election was stolen. I saw him say it on TV. What am I supposed to believe? You know what? That's not crazy. Oh. And... I would say reading through this, A, it is an indictment of everybody who just thought that you could put 
a psychopath into the White House and everything would be fine, right? All the people were like, well, whatever, you know, it doesn't, you just put a psychopath in there and be fine. It is an indictment of all of the people who, who knew better and who just sort of went along with it, right? The match slaps of the world and the rich Lowry's of the world who, you know, you just, you make excuses for them and nobody actually believes this stuff and you just put it in the best possible light and you know, it's all a game. It's all a game, right? And then it turns out like it's to the the rubes out there. It's not a game. There are people who take all this stuff totally seriously. And they went and, and did something really dangerous, which hurt a lot of people and ruined a ton of people's lives and got several people killed. And I got to say, reading it, it just it just makes me angry that the people who get punished here are the cannon fodder, the foot soldiers, and the people who, you know, like Donald Trump himself, who, you know, I've been the squish who didn't want to go and prosecute him. And I've turned around on that. And, uh, but not just him, it's the enablers. It's the whole class of professional Republicans around him who enabled this to happen and are going to walk away from this, this absolute conflagration with nothing but more money in their pockets. That makes me really fucking angry. Sorry. No, that's good. I don't even have a question in there. Sarah? Is there a question? Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, so, you know, JVL, I write so infrequently for you at the Bulwark that I can remember mm. the two pieces that I wrote post-January 6th. One of them was hold them all accountable. And it was about, yes. and it used, Bill Crystal, our friend, gave me this Lincoln quote. And it was something like, should I prosecute the young soldier and not touch a hair on the head of the wily agitator. And it was a piece about how all of these people who stormed the Capitol were going to jail. They were getting legitimately prosecuted. And this has always been my, I get a lot of heat for my defense of voters, even my defense of, of sort of Trump voters. But like, they're being lied to by people that typically, I'm not saying presidents tell the truth, but like, that they don't expect to tell unbelievable lies. Like, that the election was, like, serious people. Like, it wasn't just Trump, too. The entire Republican Party fell in line. Kevin McCarthy, everybody told them, yeah, 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 the election was stolen. What are they supposed to believe? When Tim Scott was asked about, is the election stolen, he wouldn't say no. He was like, oh, I don't know. You'd have to talk to the president about that. That's right. Right? They just wouldn't fucking say it. That's right. And Tim Scott's one of the good guys. One of the better guys. Yeah. Because uh, there's a real relative scale um, here. But the, And the other piece that I wrote was called, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> like, and it was, it was this this idea of, you take this liar, an insane con man, who has no respect or interest in American norms and values and institutions, and only cares about himself and is an ego, you know, like, and you empower him to, like, what did you think the end result of that was going to be? And so, yeah, just, I agree with both of those things. And I suspect that Liz Cheney, this obviously is a Liz Cheney stand podcast, but like, I suspect Liz Cheney wrote a bunch of that. The executive summary, like with her own fingers, with her own blood. Yeah, like I, with I think her she own did, blood. Like I don't think there's like a bunch she of Dipped quill. <laughs> I don't. Yeah, I don't think there's a bunch of people. I mean, I think there are obviously lots of staff and lots of people who did a great job. But like, I think that she has taken this committee by like the scruff of its neck and has been the one really directing things. And I think that she. I bet that's her. I bet that's her voice. I bet that's her writing a lot of it. I think that there's good reason to believe that. I've reason to believe that beyond just uh, what I suspect. But 
Uh, look, two things on this. I think that what is, I'm so happy that's how they led the executive summary. And this is the important part. And this gets to a little bit of what I, you know, wrote about, which I, we already talked about on Monday's pod about the TPUSA Fest, about how there's an element of it that makes me sad, right? Yeah. Like, I, there, you know, I'm just looking around this room and, you know, there are people that know better. JVL, you already handled those folks. So I'll, I'll move on to the people that don't. And, and they're all still doing this all over again with Carrie Lake right now. And like, and they're giving Carrie like fifty bucks for a challenge. And I saw a Fox News headline this weekend that was like, "Judge accepts, you know, Carrie Lake's challenge to the election." And it's like, well, wait, what actually happened was she she had ten filings, like eight of them were dismissed, <laughs> and and two they're like, okay, well, we, we're gonna need to see more evidence from you, right? And and Fox is you know putting a banner headline on the website that like makes it seem like there's some there's a there there. You know, she's saying to the room, I'm going to take this to the Supreme Court. Everybody's cheering. You know, I think that the good thing is that that is a much smaller fish than the president doing this, right? And, and so if you're just looking at, at math and, you know, if the president is fooling 60 million people into thinking that the election is being stolen and the country is being taken from us, then is it really that surprising that a couple hundred would resort to violence? No, right? And so maybe if Carrie Lake hopefully is only tricking a million people, right? Like that's a smaller pool of people for whom might be susceptible to violence and, and maybe some of the most likely folks that have been susceptible to violence are, are getting their comeuppance and getting their law and order right Right now, and so that that is helping this situation as well. But still, like there's other like real harms that are being done, and and the harm that's being done is to the people that the fucking populists claim to care about. Yeah, right? and like that is the thing that is just so heartbreaking and enraging about all of this. Like that the victims of this, like the people that are in the front of that executive summary who are going to jail. Well, the real victims are the people that died, um, and the cops, and you know our friends Fanon, but like the. The second order victims are the people whose lives are being ruined by this, who are, who are having to go to jail because they, they believed this bullshit. And, and the third order victims are the, their family. And the fourth order are the like, people on you know, uh, a fixed income. They're spending 50 bucks you know, to, to send into her Stop the Steal fund. Right? Like, all of these people are, are the ones that they claim to care about and they're getting fucked over by this. And so I'm happy that they were centered in that in the beginning of this, of this report. And that's an important element of the report, not you know, because it, it speaks to that experience, but it also demonstrates why Donald Trump is responsible, you know, and like there's an obvious reason that he's responsible and that he can get bogged down in all the details of this report. But like he's responsible because he convinced them to be there. He tricked them to be there. None of this would have happened without him. Right. Like they weren't just going to violently overthrow the government on behalf of Mike Pence. Like try to, you know, they weren't going to charge the Capitol had, had Donald Trump just said, hey, you know, congratulations, Joe Biden. So that's why they're they're important. The other thing that I'm interested in, you know, we haven't seen all this, is just the the full transcripts, which I'm happy that they're releasing of these interviews. You know, because other people will notice things and see things that will, I, I think, yield more information. You know, as good as the people on the inside of this committee are leaking select things to the Post and to whoever, you know, just open source always is going to reveal more stuff. I mean, just this Hope Hicks thing that came out yesterday or the other day about how you know, Hope Hicks asked people around Trump to promise to tell him to say, you know, we shouldn't have violence. And he refused. Right. Like that was another little data point that we didn't know. Now we know because we've seen the Hope Hicks interview. I think that there's going to be more like that as they kind of release all the material. So you you made a point about the families. That's important. I don't know if you guys saw this, but a few months ago, The Guardian did a long story about Stuart Rhodes's kid. Yeah. And how he basically escaped his abusive home, right? And this is this is the second order stuff. 
And then there's a writing about this for the newsletter later this week. There's a new paper out looking at COVID deaths. And you will be shocked to learn that the COVID death rate increased over time, especially post-vaccination availability among people with high school degrees and less, right? And it's because these people are being fed stuff, which is toxic. And, you know, in the case of COVID, can result in their deaths. And uh, I don't know. I look at it and I think to myself, my God, the Democrats pay political prices for being a little more hawkish on COVID because they're trying to save the lives of people who don't vote for them. That's nuts to me. It drives me crazy. I look forward to that newsletter. (sighs) Well, you know, we'll get the rest of the report. We have criminal referrals. Let's talk a little bit of predictions here because I I wanted to do 2023 predictions late in the show, but we'll just do it right now. Because my, my look ahead for 23 is that the most important story will be the invisible primary. And that we're going to know a lot more about Trump's viability as a candidate and also his just his energy and his stomach to actually go out and fight a war again over the course of the next six to eight months, I think. And it is possible that the cumulative weight of all of this and his age and his sort of inability to roll himself out of Mar-a-Lago and go get in front of crowds and be energetic and up-tempo. It's possible that Trump, the guy, is really finished, which would be amazing. There. That's my 2023 prediction. You think that he's going to be finished? I think it's possible. That was a little kind of like Tucker Carlson's remarks that was sort of meandering and I couldn't I couldn't get to. Was that a prediction there or just a observation about a possibility? No, it, the prediction is that the most important story of 2023 is going to be how this invisible primary works out. And that yeah. one of the real possible outcomes now is that we find out over the course of the next eight months or so that he he doesn't have it. And I think we'll know that by the end of 2023. There's a little bit of a chicken in the egg here because these two things are related. But I guess I would say the most important story is whether he gets indicted and what the impact of that is on the invisible primary, right? Uh, Because if he doesn't or if he does in the, like, Trump organization overpaid, you know, didn't report taxes since, right? But, like, if he he gets big boy indicted for the referrals that came from the January 6th committee or from the Fonnie Willis investigation in Georgia, that is I think the biggest story of the next six months because you assume that would that is basically the window when it, it would happen nine months right and they're not going to do it three months before the Iowa caucus you know you could get right back into the right. election issue so that is a six to nine month thing and I think that the question then is okay well what is because I, I don't know that any of us really think he's going to be behind bars I mean inshallah you know what who knows but um but so then the question then is what is that impact on the rest of the electorate is that a radicalizing moment you know is that you know bringing people to his side is that everybody saying okay good luck with your legal bills pal um you know you have 120 million in the bank of our money you can use to pay for them but we're we're going to start to focus on DeSantis and and other stuff right like there's an interplay between those two so sarah you just talked about a minute ago the idea of these people getting their information and they have trump telling them that in 2020 that uh, the election was stolen from them And then what did we think was going to happen? Do you think it would have made a difference if the main body of the Republican Party, Mitch McConnell and Tim Scott and Glenn Young, all all of the people, the Ron DeSantis's, if they had all stood up and said, no, 
no, this is wrong. Joe Biden won. He's the president. You remember Mitch McConnell held off on even like, you know, shaking hands with Biden for weeks and weeks and weeks, trying to hold out as long as possible. Do you think it would have made a difference if the main body of the Republican Party had contradicted him? I do. Yeah, that's right. And Tim, do you? Yes, a difference. I, I'm interested to see if I agree to the degree to which there would have been a difference to what Sarah says. Well, yeah, this is the point. It's the difference between 70% of Republicans believing the election was stolen and 35% believing that the election was stolen. And I'll do my Republican triangle of doom, but, uh, <laughs> you know, what, that is the radicalizing triangle in which, you know, if it's just sort of that this is the the toxic and symbiotic relationship between the right-wing infotainment media, the voters, and Republican elected officials and how they radicalize each other. And if you have the elected officials, if you can break that triangle with one of the points, which in this case is you're offering as the elected officials, it diminishes how much you can radicalize, how far you can radicalize the party. And because all of the elected officials jumped on board, right, then a much more this like medium group of people, the people who say in the focus groups, I don't know that it was enough to change the outcome of the election, but like I definitely think something bad happened. I think that, you know, it was really shady. You know, that is less present. And you really just have your hardcore people who are devoted to Trump and whatever Trump says goes. Can I ask my second question, though? Because the, the second question here is then, so what happens if he's indicted and the Republican Party has to face a choice again, just like with the Stop the Steal stuff? Do they back him and say, yeah, looks like a witch hunt to me, or do strategic silence or say, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not going to comment on this, or, or do they do what they should have done in November and December of 2020? and say, yes, this all looks very, very bad. Because I think that makes a big difference in terms of evaluating how what happens to Trump practically within the Republican base. Yes? Well, here's the thing about this dynamic, and, and I agree with your point about the shadow primary being um, incredibly important, and I agree with Tim's point that the indictments are incredibly important and how people respond to those are, the thing is, is like the timing of all those things matters, and matters a great deal. And it also matters, right, the, the cadence of this is going to be important because it's also going to matter who else is in the race. So the thing about the focus groups, right, that inherent tension is they're not going to break with Trump. They're not mad at Trump. They don't think he's bad. They're just shopping for an alternative because they don't think he can win. And they're like kind of burn out on his shtick. They don't hate it. It's just like not as exciting as it used to be. And so like they're kind of interested in like, does anyone else have some zhuzh for me? Who else can make me you know, send a tingle up my leg that's new and interesting. And, and for the most part, that's DeSantis. And so right now, there's a bunch of known unknowns. And they are things like, who runs against Trump? And how early do they get in? Because if Trump gets indicted, if the indictments come down in January and nobody else is in, then all of the people are free to kind of side with Trump, right? They can side against the deep state, and they can say this is a, a witch hunt, but they can also say, but this is why we need somebody else, right? Like there's like different ways that can they can handle it. Now, let's say they're all in and the indictments come down. Let's say DeSantis is running, Yunkin is running, Sununu's running, Pence is running, Christie's running, Nikki Haley's, all of them. But then they're running against Trump. That's really complicated for them, right? Because they know the voters are kind of on his side and yet they're looking for ins. They're looking for ways to knock him down. I do think that just generally the strategic silence seems to be the choice of most elected officials, uh, especially right now and especially, I think, for a while, because what they want is somebody else to be for. 
right? The reason for DeSantis mania is that being affirmatively somebody else on the team, because otherwise you have to side against Trump with the deep state, or you have to side against Trump with the Democrats. You have to be Liz Cheney. But if you can be for Ron DeSantis, you are still on the team in good standing, and maybe you're not so critical of Trump, but you're like, and this is, but this is why he has to step aside. Anyway, my point is that like the cadence is gonna, how people react is gonna, it's gonna matter sort of where we are in the year and what's happening. This is the key insight into why nobody that matters in the Republican establishment will actually do what you're suggesting there at the end, JVL, which is say, it looks like there's a lot here. He should be held accountable for his actions. You know, we can never do anything like this again, right? Like, that's the responsible thing to say. And, like, that's the thing that only people who are on the outs or already out or in kamikaze mode, maybe that's at the most closest to MAGA person that could be is maybe a Chris Christie type, you know, in the in the race. I, I don't, I wouldn't even, I don't even see a Sununu type doing that or a Pence, really. I mean, Pence just was asked about this on Fox, said he doesn't want him to be indicted, right? And because of the reason that Sarah points out, because they're all still doing the five-dimensional chess about how to deal with him and still saying, I need his voters so I can't alienate his voters, so I can't do anything that alienates his voters, sends me down the path to Cucktown with, with the next level crowd, and so I can't do that. So I have to do either strategic silence or do the, ooh, I'm concerned about the DOJ. Is there some politicization here? Or is there, you know, have we seen some inappropriate actions? Or, you know, there, this is a partisan attack, you know, not engaging on the details of it. And, and that's what they will all do again, because they feel like they have to do it in order to move on from him or in order to move on from him without pain, right? None of them have ever been willing to take any short-term political pain to move on from him. And so they will continue to do the same thing that they always did. And eventually that'll work, right? That's the thing. And we're in year seven. So like, obviously, <laughs> obviously it would have been better to pull the ripcord way back at uh, Access Hollywood or whatever and say they're voting from Hillary and try to get rid of this guy. Um, there would have been short-term political pain then. Uh, but that would have been the best thing to do. And obviously the, the second impeachment would have been your next real best option to do that. But eventually it'll work. Maybe it'll work this time. But, um, but that's the reason why they'll do it. All right. Can we move on to talk about Volodymyr? I'm so excited about this. He is leaving his country for the first time since Russia invaded. And coming to the United States, he'll be on the ground only for a few hours. He's going to go first to the White House. Then he's going to go to Congress. He's going to address a joint session. Don Trump Jr., who is almost the exact same age as Volodymyr Zelensky, went onto Twitter and called him a welfare queen. He did? Oh, yeah. When you think about somebody that's earned every dollar that they've ever accumulated, you know, <laughs> Don Jr. somebody that's like got got the blisters on their hands, you know, built something from scratch, right? A real capitalist, you know, somebody who's never gotten a handout or a hand up. Donald Trump Jr. is the person that comes to mind. He's a piece of shit. There's a lot to talk about here. He is a piece of shit. But the, the big thing yeah. is, is this a trap for Republicans? Because I got to assume... Some sizable percentage of the party, you know, maybe it's only 10 House members, but maybe it's 40 of them, are coming around to where the voters are. And the voter, Republican-based voters, are really squirrely about giving aid to Ukraine right now. And I don't know how this is going to work out, honestly. Sarah? I love this for the Democrats. This is, this is the kind of thing that warms my little— We should say we love this for America. 
Not just for the Democrats, but we love this for America, right? Honestly, the Ukraine fight is really the purest distillation of the never Trump Republican and and Democratic coalition totally, totally. together. I mean, this is this is our shit. This yeah. is the best. I'm just like Nancy Pelosi. What a move! You want him to do a photo op with Liz Cheney, right? That if yeah, we get yeah, Zelensky yeah. and Liz <laughs> Cheney photo op, the bulwark explodes. <laughs> <laughs> Supernova. This is our sweet spot. Amanda Carpenter was saying this in the Slack where she was kind of like, baller move by Pelosi, right? Um, and and it is. Like, they're going to vote on this Ukraine aid. You got a bunch of these dopey Republicans, the Matt Gates types, who have decided to run this populist message that has been working, right? Like, they, you have seen the numbers tick up in Republican voters who do not believe we ought to be aiding Ukraine. This is how America first works in practical, which is, oh, no, no, no. It's I, Why wouldn't we help ourselves? Why would we help this other country? Why would we give our tax dollars to this other country? Because at some point we stopped educating people about how important it is to have stable democracies over the, all over the world, to not have dictators be able to just roll into those countries and take them over. You've got our flat out pro-Putin apologists on the right now, and there's plenty of them, Tucker on down. But there is still a decent chunk of the Republican Party. And this is as much as the Republican Party has basically given up everything in service to Trump in terms of principles, like the chunk of people who are still pro stabilizing democracy in the world is like still a meaningful chunk of the Republican Party. And so there are a lot of people who, you know, not just your Susan Collins is actually much deeper than that. like Lindsey Graham, a whole bunch of people who want to welcome Zelensky, who genuinely will be moved by the idea of Zelensky coming here. And like while the money is on the table in the omnibus for support and he's here, that's bold and it's awesome. I mean, he, he hasn't left the country and for him to come here and to, to address the United States, man, I can't I can't wait. I want to correct myself. I actually undersold the quote. Don Jr. called him an ungrateful international welfare queen. So, you know, that. Is that because they suspect he's going to ask for more? I think I saw a quote yeah. somewhere where he said something like, he's going to say thank you, but it's not enough. And I say, you get it, Zelensky. You get that bag. We're sending Patriot batteries over there. Did you see this? Yeah. Yeah, it's a big yeah. deal. I'm sorry. I still want America to try to defeat dictators. Brutal, horrible dictators. I still want that for America. This is the clearest... Right and wrong issue, and uh, you know, besides the Donald Trump election in like our adult lives, I, I mean, it's just the side of the righteousness and the evil. It's very easy to for you know those of us who are clear-eyed to tell. I'm happy to give him Patriot missiles. I'm happy that we gave him ammo and not a ride. And I, I'm just I, I was so pumped to see that he's coming. I, I agree, and I think that to answer your question, JVL, it is such a trap because of exactly what Sarah said, and it's not just among the leaders, right? Look, Republican voters are old. Okay, Republican voters are older and they lived through the Cold War and a lot of them still hate the Ruskies. And, you know, the five decades of Cold War propaganda, you know, that not all of them have shaken that off. Right. Some of them have, but not all of them have. I would be very interested in the polling breakdown on this by age, honestly, because I wonder if it's the young yeah. nationalist right that is more pro-Russia than the old boomer Republicans. And I didn't hear a single defense of Ukraine liberty in the world at TPOSA. Nothing. I didn't hear it from one person I spoke to when I, you know, when I was, I was interviewing the kids, I mostly just asked them like what issues they cared about. None of them said that. And obviously on stage, nobody was up there saying, 
send the Patriots, USA, USA. And, and, but you could imagine that in an alternate world, right? It's like the Benny Johnson thing that I, that I wrote about his presentation was mostly like supposed to be kind of the lighter fare. It was the memes and like, you know, getting the kids excited. And, and so it wasn't that long ago where like a Benny Johnson type performance would be, you know, Hulk Hogan on a dinosaur waving the American flag and like, you know, sending the new Patriots to blow up like the Russians, you know, and like Putin and like the little dolls to show that he's like a little bitch, right? Like, like that could have been a, a Republican thing not long ago. That's not what they did. You know, the means are all about, oh, well, look at our border. Why are we giving money to Ukraine's border? To your point about Elon Musk, JVL, about how he's just like kind of not really policy with any of these guys, but instinctually with these guys, that's what he's tweeting about, right? Like he gets, he's gotten sucked into that kind of younger nationalist meme-ish you know, side of the party. Funny aside here, I'm here at my parents' house. My dad asked me this morning, he goes, why are people so mad at Elon? I'm not, I don't understand what's happening there. Everybody hates him now. And I was like, do I have the podcast for you from, my, from Monday? <laughs> you can just tune in to the next level to take over the Bulwark podcast. You get fully up to speed on that. Um, So that is not the whole party though. And I think that what Mitch McConnell said today, you know, being very supportive of giving money to Ukraine and passionately so reflects a minority view, but a, a substantial minority view. And, you know, these are all the types of voters. This is very neatly aligned, I think, with your anti-democratic Republicans are crazy. You know, Republicans have lost their mind, suburban voters that rejected Carrie Lake and Doug Mastriott, right? Like they, they are all neatly aligned with where the Democrats are on this. They will be watching the thing tonight or watching the clips of it on Facebook and getting a little chill and feeling pride. And, and like the Republicans have put themselves on the wrong side of that one. Yeah. Hell yeah. America, hell yeah. Fuck them up. You talked about the clear right and wrong. Yeah. There is a uh, gentleman on the Twitters who took a stand. I don't know if you guys have seen this, but we have what looks like the last prosecution of a Nazi that's about to, to take place over in France. Have you guys seen this? I have not seen that. We've got a woman who, uh, guys, just give me like two seconds to chase this down because it's really good. Okay, you chase this down. I've got it so we can get a little personal. It's just a holiday episode, right? So we don't need clean transitions. I have a new niece. I have a new oh, niece that just happened. Congrats. Sister, isn't that exciting? That's super just happened exciting. three hours ago, Whoa. right before. So we're taping this. Yeah, I'm gonna go to the hospital right after we tape this. What a joy-filled Christmas here in our home. We're gonna have Zelensky tonight. We're gonna have a new niece. The Nuggets looked fantastic last night <laughs> against the Grizzlies on live TV. I'm just, I'm like the anti-JVL, Sarah. I don't, do you watch Not My Party or do you not watch it like you don't read the triad? I do it exactly like I read the triad, which is I watch it 50% of the time. You'll want to watch this one because I tried to channel Sarah. I'm ending the year this year with just... What a great year. What a great year. We're doing nuclear fusion. We beat all the insurrectionists. In Ukraine, things are going better than expected. We got a Beyonce record. Liz Cheney showed us courage. Like, this was a great year. And so we're going to celebrate that with a new kid. So that's my vamping. Yeah. And I got to say, I, you know, I hadn't thought about this till you started bringing up what a good year it is. But I remember... It must have been 2020. It was 2020 where I was like super optimistic, right? I was like super like we're going to Biden's elected and you know, we're going to get through COVID and all this stuff. And then like 21 was a disaster. Like it was just, you know, the Afghanistan 
was a disaster and Delta resurged and like no one was taking the vaccine and we were all still getting COVID. And Yunkin won in, yeah. in Virginia showing this backsliding and we were seeing the the field take shape of all of these election deniers who were going to run. And it was just bad. Yeah, my year-end triad in 2020, if you can go back to read it if they just want to feel better now, was about how everything was the worst. Yeah. I was worried about how we were all getting addicted to the worst. That was like my New Year's meditation essay that year. That's right. And here we are. And this year was excellent by all measures of, you know, we finally did get to do all the, this is for Tim now, all the face licking. I didn't lick anybody's face, but like I gave a lot of hugs. Face lick? I gave a lot of hugs and, uh, and, and. And we were back. I haven't worn a mask. Oh, you know, like, and you know what? I've gotten a lot of weird viruses. Oh, I'm sick again now because our immunities are all but broken. That's okay. That's, that's freedom. Okay. We did defeat all the election deniers. And Trump is heading into 2023, into the shadow primary, so much weaker than we thought he might be. No, this is a good one. One more little optimistic note. You know that when in the article today, how I wrote about that gentleman who's on a one-way trip to Cucktown? Yes. The young guy at TPUSA who I talked to who is like, you know, I just, I don't know if Carrie really, if this stuff is really right. And it seems like she's faking it because she wants to be Trump's <laughs> VP. And I don't, I don't really believe this stuff. And like his friends were like, what are you talking about? And, uh, and so we became friends on Instagram and, um, uh, he just sent me a message, read your article. Thank you. Got this one mostly right. I think we, I think we might be winning Yikes. one recruit. <laughs> we might've gotten, we might've won one recruit from the MAGA. Slowly but surely, it's happening. That's a high-effort audience development play. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so here's the story. The Jerusalem Post has a story in what may be Germany's final Nazi trial. 97-year-old Irmgard Fürkner has been found guilty for being complicit in over 10,500 murders at the Stutthof concentration camp. Okay? Okay. Pretty clear good and bad, right? Pascal Emmanuel Gobri oh, of the Ethics and Public Policy Center retweets this with, what is the point of this? It is a religious exercise. Yes. Yes, we should stand up for the rights of former Nazis who uh, were complicit in uh, concentration camp murders. That's what the new right is. That is depressing, JVL. There's your new right. I'm going to spin this as a positive. One of the other things, these assholes, Peg, and these fuckers, they haven't had their comeuppance yet. But a lot of people got their comeuppance this year. Those, you know, a lot of those Oath Keepers did, and this Nazi did, and SBF did. And so, uh, you know, Peg, suck it. This is less what we call law and order, big guy. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, any things for the holidays? Sarah, I was in, uh, I was in the city last night, as is my want. Saw Into the Woods. It's a tremendous show. I mean, living in the center of American cultural heritage is really, it's just an amazing experience. I wish you guys could all, could all live like this. JVL literally last night, he was like, oh, I can't edit your thing until after 11. And I was like, why? And he said, I'm in the city for a show. I was like, yeah. you go to the, you go to more shows now than the, than the theater gays on my Instagram. I get texted yeah. every time he goes into New York. <laughs> And he just sends me like selfies or like last night was like a fan of the opera. And just to make sure that I know, A, because he claims he's a New Yorker now, right? I don't know if you know this, yeah. but oh, he's yeah. a New Yorker now. I've That's heard. what kids do. That's what the real <laughs> New Yorkers do. They send pictures of themselves right. in the city. And Broadway. And, and broad, the Broadway shows. <laughs> the Broadway. Yeah, that's... <laughs> 
But also he's just trolling me because he sees so many more musicals than I do right now. I mean, he's seen like a hundred musicals this year. Where do you find the time? You're doing a you're doing a newsletter every day. You got podcasts. You have 17 kids. <laughs> yeah, there you are. You're coaching a, a poor a poor middle school women's basketball <laughs> team. <laughs> like, like, I don't Honestly, where, are you sleeping? What's what what's a day look like for well, you? Well, no, I don't I don't sleep, obviously. But uh on this is hand to God the truth. From the time I got into the car last night. Till the time I pulled into my driveway was 35 minutes. It is as easy to go in and see a show as it is for Sarah for you to drive downtown to to the office. This is what people that live in Reston always used to tell me about being in DC. It's easy. You get to town two minutes. Whatever. So easy. Right. Come out to visit me. We can have a barbecue. Yeah. And Tim, I think you'll agree with me that people who live in Reston are not from DC. They don't live in DC. (laughs) I do. I do. I do. I gladly side with Sarah. So while you were looking up the Nazi JBL, Tim and I were talking about all the things that went right in 2022. Mm. And and we forgot, we even forgot a bunch. Like, like when as soon as Tim said women's sad women's basketball uh team, I was like, oh, Brittany Griner came mm. home. Like another huge, yeah. you know, great. Okay. So so JBL, mm-hmm. you're always dark, but come on, it's been a good year. What can you get? What's your joy? What do, what do you what happened this year that makes you happy? You know, it's been a great year. Honestly. It's been a great like year. Every, this year, everything year. is basically gone like 5% better than I thought it it could. Oh, God. 12% it it feels yeah. weird to talk like that. <laughs> Very strange. But it's true. All this bipartisan legislation. The, yeah. the You know what? In this omnibus bill, the Electoral Count Act is in this omnibus yeah. bill. Because Joe Biden is an incredibly successful president who should run for re-election. That's why. Okay. <laughs> you know, just focus on the positive. That's a different conversation. But the, the Electoral Count Act, like, I, I was not sure that there was any way to get that done. And here it is. I know. Yeah. I didn't even get to make it into my not my party. I already taped it. Uh, so yeah. it didn't even get mentioned. It's such a good year. The good things happened that didn't even make it to the good year roundup. Yeah. Yep. You know what? Trump, it will make it much harder for any president to do, try and do again what Donald Trump did. That's true. Hell yeah. All right. Everybody, hey, have a happy holidays. All of the All of the holidays. Enjoy them. Have a good New Year's. I hope that you guys are safe and get to be with all the people you love. Uh, Tim and Sarah. I love you guys. For reals, for reals. Merry Christmas. Hit the, hit the subscribe button. Hit the like button. Come and follow us. And if you're in Los Angeles or Seattle, come out and see us in January and we'll hang out. It'll be a really good time. Or come down from the Bay or everywhere else to LA. Come down from anywhere. Californians. Yeah. Night in Hollywood. Bye, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Peace.